Good morning. I'm Caleb, if we haven't met yet. Uh, did you like our little graphic there? <clears throat> the hands, the moving hands. Uh, I am excited about this series, Oh, the Places We'll Go. You'll see it's kind of inspired by Dr. Seuss, a little bit of that, a little bit of that flavor involved, and it's going to be a great series. It's going to be, this has been a great weekend already uh, for me, hopefully for you. I had uh, my cousin Mike get married last night. And he, uh, I got a bunch of family here because my, uh, Kaylee, who's usually over here on the Keys, it was her older brother. And so her whole family's here, uh, my parents, my brother, grandma, aunts. I mean, it's, it's been uh, an awesome weekend so far. Uh, and it's like a beautiful weekend, isn't it? It's like the most beautiful weekend of the year, which is, which is a lot of fun. And you're here. You're here. So you're really smart, and you know that starting your Sunday off, uh, being in a place like this matters, and that, and that the things that we celebrate, the beauty that's out there and all the, the, the great things going on in life, and maybe there's some really difficult things going on in life simultaneously, but by being here, what you say is that, that we actually realize, or at least some of us hope, that there's more to life than just a beautiful weekend at the beach, that there's more to life than just weddings and things like that. Like, there, there's more. There's like eternal things that are worth talking about. And so uh, thank you for starting your Sunday off with us. Thank you for braving the front row, the splash zone, and just, it's what happens when you're late at 10. You, <laughs> door bosses, this is kind of the deal. You just, you just have to, you have to hope that I'm not, uh, it's not a, a spit morning, you know, that I've, this message this morning is going to hit home, I believe, for all of us. Uh, I, I want to start with two verses to kind of set the stage. This first one is from Proverbs 16. It says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. How many of you know what it's like to have a plan and for things not to go according to your plan? That the Lord establishes your steps, and some of you are in a space where you look back and you're like, man, this, this way that God's established is way better than what I had in mind. Thank you, God. And some of you are at a different place and you're still in the middle of some not-so-fun things that are happening. And you're like, God, this was not my plan. And I wish that you would figure this out and kind of make this better. Look at Psalm 32 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. It's reassuring, isn't it? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up thinking that my life was supposed to be like on a graph up and to the right. Kind of like, <laughs> like this. It's just like success, you know? And if you do good things and you're nice to people and you work hard and you just, you just do, do the right stuff, that it's just going to be up, 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 up. And some of you that are still maybe in like your early 20s, uh, I don't want to burst your bubble, um, but that's not the picture of life. It's just, it's just not real. Life looks uh, maybe a little bit more like this. Uh, there's ups and downs, and you feel like maybe at least I'm going in the right direction, uh, but some of us feel more like this one. It's just chaos. <laughs> And some things are kind of progressing upwards, but other aspects of life are going straight down. And work is here, but, but, but home life is here, or, or whatever the case may be that you might find yourself in. The point is that the journey from A to B is not a straight line. And that we need to figure out if we can have confidence and trust 
in the God of the universe, even when things are just all over the place and not going according to plan. That's what this series is about, and that's what our message today is about. I'm going to be talking about a, a, a gentleman from the Old Testament that some of you have never heard of. Uh, his name is Mephibosheth, and I'd like to call him Mephibo for obvious reasons, if you don't mind, Mephibo. And Mephibo is the grandson of the first king of Israel, Saul. Saul was the first king. The, the Israelites said, we want a king. Uh, and God's like, I kind of wanted to be your king. And they're like, no, we want a king with flesh and blood because all these other kingdoms around here have kings of flesh and blood, and they look tough. And we've been watching Game of Thrones, and we want that, you know? <laughs> and so the, God's like, all right, you know, if you want a king, here's your king. He's Saul, and he was this big, strong, handsome guy. And, and he did some good things, but things got sideways in his kingdom. And God decided that he was going to move Saul aside, and he was going to bring in a, a new king, King David, who wasn't even from the same bloodline of King Saul, right? They were, it, wasn't, it wasn't in the natural progression. Uh, Saul's son was Jonathan, and Jonathan and David were actually good buddies. And turns out that Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle when the Philistine army is just wreaking havoc. And so Saul... Jonathan, who had been heir to the throne, they're both dead. And news gets back home to the rest of the family in the kingdom that the king is dead. He's, he's been killed in battle. And Jonathan, his son, who should be the next king, he's also dead. And so everyone at home is panicking. And, and there's, a, there's a grandson, Mephibo. He's about five years old. And his nanny swoops him up. And they're like, we got to get out of here because the the sky is falling, right? The king's dead. And so she swoops up this five-year-old Mephibo, and they start to run, and, and something happens in the fury and in the chaos, and she drops the kid. And, and further than just like, like here to there, because we know that he's lame in both of his legs after this fall. So both legs or feet or ankles are somehow snap, and you know, medicine isn't what it is today, and so this kid never walks after that. And that's Mephibo as he starts off his, his journey. And after that, you know, David is sworn in as the next king. And Mephibo, who the grandson of Saul, heir to the throne in the lineage, he goes from this up into the right life to obscurity. He's just kind of written off and forgotten and finding his way in disappointment somewhere else. And that's where we pick up the story. The Bible says that David, who's now king, asked, is there anyone still left in the house or in the family of Saul, the previous king, to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Like I said, they were, they were buddies. And so David's king now, and he says, you know what, it's kind of weird that, they, that Saul was king and then now knowing his family's king and I'm king. I appreciate it, and this is obviously God's plan, but I want to I wanna, you know, do something good for that family. Is there anybody left alive in Saul's family? Verse 2, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, your buddy, but he's lame in both his feet. Ziba, the guy talking, had, he, he had worked for Saul, and he's you know family friend guy. He's still surviving. And so he's saying to the, to the new king David, 
Uh, there is, uh, but he's, he's a cripple. In essence, but it doesn't really matter. In those days, if you couldn't walk, if you didn't have use of your legs, you couldn't add any value to, the, to society. You had to just lay around and be carried around. And so Zeba's talking to the king, and he's like, yeah, but he's a, he's a cripple. He's lame in both his feet, both feet. Can't even hop around. Can't, I mean, it's just like, whatever you're planning, David, it's probably, you don't want this guy. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar is the equivalent of Blythe. So after you've stopped at Cabazon and after you've debated, you know, do we go up to dinner in Palm Springs or do we just go on to Arizona, then you come across Blythe. And you only stop if you're low on gas <laughs> or really have to go to the bathroom, right? And that's where this guy is living. That's where he is staying, Lodabar, the place where dreams go to die, you know? <laughs> and he had been on this path up and to the right, Mephibo, he'd been, he'd been, you know, born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was heir to the throne. He didn't have to worry about anything. He had servants. He, he couldn't walk anymore, but even if he, even if he would st- had still have been able to be in the castle, he had enough servants to just get done whatever he wanted to get done. But now he finds himself in blithe, in obscurity. He finds himself forgotten alone, with no hopes and dreams. I want you just to imagine like the expectations of this guy's life. Maybe some of you it's easy to imagine. You're supposed to do great things. You have all these opportunities. Your family believes in you, has given you everything that you need to make it in life. That you live in this place, or you went to that school, or you got this job offer, or you live in America where you can start a business. You can do any number of things. You have these great expectations for your life, and how you're going to be here, and how you're going to get there, and how great it's going to be. And then for some reason, it comes crashing down, and life isn't like this. It's more like this, and maybe like that. And that's Mephibo's reality. He's out in Lodabar, forgotten in obscurity, dreaming about what might have been if he could live in the castle, in the palace, in the place of power, where the center of everything, and instead, he's forgotten. Verse 5. So King David had him, Mephibo, brought to him from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. When Mephibo, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. You know what that means? David had been practicing his name. (laughs) I mean, it's not easy. I've been working on it since Tuesday. He, He had to practice that. He brought in his linguists. He'd been going over it. Mephasa? No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Samsonite? No. He 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 wanted to get it. Mephibosheth. Honor him. You know how significant that is? When the king knows your name? Imagine if you're 
vacationing in Washington, D.C., and someone wants to take you to a tour of the White House, and you're walking around, and out of the West Wing somewhere pops Barack Obama, right? And he sees you. He's like, Mike! <laughs> you're like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Right? I mean, it, it, it cha- in, in that moment, it, it, it kind of it shocks you. It changes your view of yourself. It also changes the view of you for everybody else in the place. The king knows his name and has been practicing it because it's hard to say. He replies, at your service. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, who is my buddy, And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Just like that. An incredible game changer. He went, I mean, just follow the track the journey. He went from born royalty in the palace, everything that he ever wants is his, to grandfather, dad, they're killed. I'm on the outs, I get dropped, I can't use my legs, now I'm in Lodabar, forgotten, depressed, don't have anything to do with my life, and then out of nowhere, the king brings me here, he knows my name, and he tells me that he's going to restore all grandpa's land to me, that I'm going to be like the second richest person around, and that I get to sit at his table from here forward, with the king himself, and with his family, his kids. Me? Verse 8, Mephibo bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Isn't that amazing? He views himself, this, this forgotten prince, he views himself like a dead dog because he has to lie around, right? He can't walk. And so he views himself like a dead dog, from the palace to obscurity. And what does that teach us? That when people feel forgotten, they forget. And some of you are there. We have a tendency when we're forgotten to just start believing the lies that play in our heads. We forget really who we are. We forget whose we are. We forget that there's still potential in us. We forget that we're created by the God of the universe. We forget that he has a good plan for our life. All we know is that we were here and now we're here and we're forgotten somewhere out there. And we view ourselves just like Mephibo, like dead dogs, just worthless off to the side. That's that's the self-image that many, many have. When we look in the mirror, why would you... Why would you think of me? Why would you care about me? Maybe that's not your problem, but maybe, certainly, I promise you, it's an issue for many of the people around you. You're smart because you show up here in this place and you keep coming back because you know that you need to be constantly reminded about who you are and how much value that you have. But there are many, many people out there that don't get that. And in their head, just play these tapes that say something to the equivalent of, I'm just like a dead dog on the side of the road. 
no one cares about me, and I don't have any value. And how quickly did that happen from being a prince in a palace to a dead dog on the side of the road? We believe those lies. And then someone acknowledges you. Someone goes out of their way to bless you and sees something in you and says you can sit at the royal palace at the table and there's this like, there's confusion because we don't see ourselves that way and then there's this little, there's this little thing in here, this little glimmer of hope that says I'm, there, there is something about me. There is, I, I just want to hope and believe that, that if God made me in his image that there's still something for me to do, that I, that I have something to contribute, that, that maybe I'm special and this, this little hope starts to sprout and starts to, starts to shine and, and, and maybe... If this person believes it, then maybe, maybe it's true of me. So the story goes on. Mephibo ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibo had a young son named Micah, or Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibo. And Mephibo lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table semicolon, he was lame in both feet. I love that, that the story finishes with that. Because now, the fact that he's lame in both feet and can't walk is just a footnote to the story. No pun intended. It's just kind of a... The whole story has progressed and played out, and now the dude's identity is completely changed. Where we started, where Ziba's like, you don't want to talk to this guy. He's lame in both feet. To now, he eats at the king's table like one of the king's sons, and this is his new identity. But it's important to note at the very end, just this little phrase, he's still lame in both feet. In other words, God didn't heal that. He changed his identity radically, brought him into the palace to be with the king, to be like a king, and to have things restored to him. But he has this ongoing reminder that life is tough, that there's consequences, that things are real, that life isn't always up and to the right, that life isn't easy, that you don't get everything that you want. That even, even, you can have God's most incredible blessings that are just mind-boggling if you pay attention to them and still not be able to walk. That there are some consequences in life, maybe dropped and your feet broke, or maybe you made some bad decisions, or maybe someone else made some bad decisions that impacted you, and there's some consequences that stick with you. And it just is what it is. And at the same time, your identity is forever changed and not in question. And just like Mephibo, you sit at the table with the king of kings. You know, the Bible tells us stories about something that happened at a time and at a place. Historical, context, we learn stuff. And it's just about, it's just as much about today. Why do you think we still read this stuff all the time? It's about then and it's about right now. And all these stories point to you and a place being set at the table for you. 
for me. And that you and I are offered a new identity. And that just as David is referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, the heart of God is to go and to find you and to break the tapes that play in your mind about who you are and who you're not and how you've blown it and how you're forgotten and how nobody cares and to erase that and offer you a seat at the table and say, you get to be a prince again. You get to sit here and you get to eat just like one of the king's sons. That's who you are. Welcome to your life. This is who I've always designed you to be. This is who I see you as. Mephibo didn't do anything to get into this place. He just heard a knock at the door and then had a bunch of servants of David's that swooped him up, put him on something with wheels, and took him to the castle. He's like, what did I, I don't know what this is about. Just like you do nothing to earn a place at the table. It's just who God's made you from the beginning of time. It's just who he's made you to be. You're one of his. So our simple step, if you have your outline, it's a, it's a friendly little fill-in there halfway down. Embrace your invitation. That's what you and I do. We embrace our invitation because we've been invited to the table. You've been invited to the table Someone has knocked on the door, and maybe it's happening for some of you for the first time right now, and you just need to open the door and believe it. But someone has knocked on the door and said, you're a child of the king. Come sit with the king and be one of his in his kingdom. Your circumstances do not define you. Let me tell you who you are. You're his. The king knows your name. He's been practicing it. Here's your seat. Ephesians 1 says, Long before he laid down the foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Christ, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who makes a way for you and I to have a seat at the table. He's the one who because of what he did, because he came and died, that everything is forgiven, that connection and relationship with the God who created you is restored. And it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't even matter what you will do. When you sit down at that table, it's just who you are now. It's all, it's all over. It's done with. You're a child of the king. He's adopted you. He doesn't unadopt you. You're in the family. It's who he's always meant you to be, and he's gone out of his way to get you to his table. Now, it might not change all your circumstances. You still might have some bum legs, but it changes your identity forever. And once you begin to see that your identity has changed, and once you accept and embrace the invitation to sit at the king's table, then you become someone who extends the invitation. You extend the invitation. You're an inviter. You're someone who invites. I met a guy once, his name's Tony. 
And uh, I've heard this story told about Tony. He's, he's someone who travels around and speaks. And he was speaking one time at a downtown location in a densely populated area. And it was, it was a long day and it was a late night session. And he didn't get through with all his obligations and the coaching and the meeting with people afterwards and all that kind of stuff until really late at night. And he and his buddy that he was with were really hungry. It was after midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., some, somewhere in that in that range. And so they're walking and they see their hotel down the way, but there's a diner. And so they pop into this diner, greasy spoon type diner. They walk in, they sit at the diner bar and they order whatever they order, probably breakfast for dinner, right? It's, it's, you know, that kind of a time. And they're sitting there and they're talking and they're debriefing the events of the day. And they're talking about the, the message and the speaking and the things that they have to do the next day. And as they're sitting there talking, these two women walk in and Tony catches a glimpse out of his eye, and he sees them, and the you know, quick blink snap judgment is they're probably prostitutes. So they come and they walk up. They sit at the same diner bar, not far from Tony and his friend. And after they overhear their conversation for a few minutes, it's pretty much confirmed they are prostitutes. Tony and his buddy go on eating, but they overhear, as they, as they continue to kind of overhear this conversation, they hear one of the girls say, tomorrow's my birthday. To which her friend replies, oh, happy birthday. That's so great. You know, what are you doing for your birthday? The girl says, I'm working. I just, I, you know, dude, I'll do what I did tonight. I'll just work. The girl's like, really? You don't have anything that you're doing? No one that you're hanging out with? Or, No, I, uh, I, actually, I actually don't ever remember celebrating a birthday in my life. And the other girl Here's that, and is like, well, shoot, you know, I'll meet you here tomorrow night. You know, I'll buy your pancakes. You know, that's, you know, it'll be great. Tony is hearing this conversation, picks up on the girl's name. As he goes and he cashes out, he, he pulls the manager, late night manager person at this diner aside, and he says, those girls come here regularly? He's like, yeah, yeah, most, most nights about this time. They're in, they're in here. That girl, her name's Sarah? Yeah, I think so. Sounds about right. I just overheard her say that tomorrow's her birthday and I want to throw her a party. So the manager's like, okay, you know, that's fine. He goes, no, like I really want to throw her a party. Is it okay if I bring in a bunch of streamers and signs and balloons and a big birthday cake? Are you gonna, is that okay if I, if I bring it to the diner? And the guy's like, you know, looking around at 2 a.m. There's like six people. He's like, sure, dude. <laughs> If you want to throw a party and bring some people into the diner, you, you can. That's, that'll be just fine. And doesn't think that he'll follow up on it. But the next day after he goes and he's speaking to these, you know, big crowds and doing all the stuff that Tony does, it's late night and he has someone go with him and they get a bunch of the supplies, streamers and signs, a bunch of balloons. And he recruits volunteers from the event that he's at. So a bunch of people file into this diner. One in the morning, something like that. It's just decorated, like it's never been decorated before. And there's a cake at the bar with Sarah's name on it. So about 1.30 to, I don't know, the, the two girls walk in, and this girl, Sarah, opens the door and just kind of stops, has no idea what's happening until a bunch of random people that she doesn't know say, happy birthday. She's just kind of stuck and frozen, like, 
doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to receive, doesn't know how to think about this. Starts to just kind of walk. Her friend behind her is also blown away, like, what is happening <laughs> here? Walks up. People are like, oh, happy birthday, Sarah. It's so great. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. You know, I'm so-and-so. I'm so-and-so. And she's like, hi, yeah, you're weird. And she keeps on walking, and she walks up to the, to the bar table. She sees a cake with her name on it. And she loses it and has her first birthday party. Because Tony believes that everyone should be invited to the table. That none of us deserve it. None of us have done anything to earn it. And yet all of us have been invited And so he made sure that on that night, Sarah felt special, that she was known, that she wasn't forgotten, and that she would just get a little glimpse of who she really was, a child of the king. And when she saw her name on a birthday cake, that maybe, maybe something would click in her soul that would say, the king knows your name. You are not forgotten. And you are not who you think you are. And the tapes that play in your mind, you are not what they tell you you are. You are a child of the God of the universe. And there is a place at this table for you. And friends, every day and every week, we need to remind ourselves and embrace the invitation that it's for us. That the king knows your name. And then... More and more, as we learn to embrace that truth, we become inviters. And I know, I know that it's overwhelming in this world and in this culture and that, and that there's needs everywhere and you can't go a mile without being asked for money or seeing just heartache and pain. And it, and it can just make you numb and you can just want to check out and say, I can't change all of this. I can't help all of them, so I'm just going to worry about me because my life is really difficult. So I want to encourage you to start here with this one idea. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. Tony didn't change the lives of every prostitute in the city. He did for one what he wished he could have done for everybody. But there was one that was right in front of him. The opportunity was right there. And he took that moment and he made sure that this one person knew on this one night that the king knows her name. You know somebody who feels forgotten. You know somebody that's at this low point or their life is really up and down and rocky. You know someone who's been listening to tapes and doesn't believe that they have value, they view themselves as a dead dog on the side of the road. You know someone like that. And you are the person to extend the invitation and to help them see that those are lies and that, in fact, they too are a child of the king because this Bible, this book, it's about stuff that happened a long time ago and it's about stuff that's happening right now today that's true of you and that's true of me.
So we wanted to finish this service this morning by taking communion together. Uh, if you are elders and leaders, if you're, if you're passing out communion, would you just stand up and grab those right now? Here's the thing. We need to continually remind ourselves that we have a spot at the table and that what Jesus did on that cross when he died and paid for the sins of the world, that that's about you and it's still very real. And that's about you getting access to the king, to your spot at his table. And so we take communion on a morning like this to remind ourselves. And as we do, I want to invite all of us just to stand because the band's going to play and sing. And these men and women are going to pass a cracker and some juice. Would you just take it and would you just hold it for a moment? And I'm going to come back up in just a second once we all have it and we're going to take it together.